meditation, a reminder of our connection with the hidden life of trees that we've discovered and our uh, guest speaker in a few moments will remind us of our similar connection to uh, animals. And of course, we are two animals, deeply part of the animal kingdom. So I'm pleased to introduce you, um, Dr. Uh, Aisha Akhtar. She is a, a medical doctor and also holds a Master of Public Health, uh, is double board certified in both neurology and preventative medicine, and is the deputy director of the Army's Traumatic Brain Injury Program. Previously, she worked for the Office of Counterterrorism and Emerging Threats of the Food and Drug Administration. She is a lieutenant commander in the U.S. Public Health Service, is a fellow of the Oxford Center for Animal Ethics, and is a consulting editor for the Journal of Animal Ethics. She's the author of Animals in Public Health, lives in Maryland, not nearby, with her uh, quite nearby, with her husband Patrick and their ornery feline Silas. She's the author uh, most recently of Our Symphony with Animals on Health, Empathy, and Our Shared Destiny, which came out in paperback in May 2021. I will put that title uh, in the chat. But for now, um, welcome, uh, Dr. Akhtar, and take it away. Thank you so much for having me here. So um, am I able to share the screen? You should be. Okay. There we How's go. That? Perfect. Okay, good. Okay, great. Um, again, thank you everyone so much for having me uh, join you today. I spoke, I think I met some of you, was it a year ago? Um, when I came actually to the um, Unitarian Church in Fredericksburg. Um, I'm sorry, Frederick, I always confuse Fredericksburg and Frederick. Um, and to talk a little bit about my book. And so I thought that I would talk a little bit since we're in the midst of a pandemic, I would focus a little bit about that. So I've kind of re- um, we written the title of the presentation, Saving Animals Saves Us. Okay, so the year was 1984 and my family and I were sitting around the dinner table discussing different topics. And somehow the topic of the conversation had come to this. We had asked ourselves, should we be eating animals? And we had never thought about the, the question. Uh, we were eating animals for sure. Um, we loved our cats. We would look at our cats and we loved them, but we never thought anything further. So at the time we had, you know, just discussed this among ourselves and we decided that eating animals was the natural and right thing to do. And we kept on eating animals. The truth is we didn't know anything about the topic. We didn't know anything about animals or rays. We didn't know anything really about our relationships with animals as a whole. Now you'll have to excuse us because at the same time we thought that this was a good look. <laughs> That's my brother with his unibrow and mustache and big hair and the brooding sullen one in the middle is me. And those are my two sisters. Well, fortunately we grew up and this is me at my um, sister's wedding and we became responsible adults. And you can see how responsible I am. I've got a glass of wine in one hand and a cup of water in the other. But as a species, we are still very much in our adolescence. We move through this world in a very self-absorbed way. We, um, we expect that the world revolves around us and we have this feeling that we are indestructible. But we need to quickly grow up as a species because we are causing, our behaviors are causing some significant harms, not only to animals and the rest of the world, but also towards ourselves. So um, since again, we are in the midst of a pandemic, I thought I would talk a little bit about infectious diseases. Um, we know now that we are seeing 
infectious diseases rise at, at a faster and faster rate. It's unprecedented, the number of new infectious diseases we are finding. And most of these infectious diseases actually are coming from other animals. And let me explain how. So in 2014, if you guys remember, we, were all, we all watched in horror as Ebola raged across Western Africa. Now, thankfully, that particular epidemic is over, but the Ebola virus continues to flare up. There are continuous epidemics flaring up in different parts of Africa. And Ebola is a virus that continually mutates. Now, we don't know how that particular epidemic started, but we normally, humans normally get Ebola when we uh, hunt, uh, kill, and butcher animals for the bushmeat trade. Now, these are animals including monkeys, non-human primates, pigs, bats, and other animals. And the bush refers to the African bush, the African wildlife. Now, the bushmeat trade has existed for a long time, but it's been rapidly increased over the last few years as the logging industry that supports our products that we, we uh, consume. Now, can you see my slides? Correct. Yes. Okay, great. Okay. So... Um, I was, I was talking about HIV. Before 1981, no one had heard of HIV, but we suspect that the first person got infected through the bushmeat trade. But the bushmeat trade is just one small part of a much larger wildlife trade in which animals are caught from the globe. I mean, caught from the wild. They're bred in captivity. They may be shipped around the globe for use as exotic furs for their skins for use and as um, experimental subjects are shipped to be used in laboratories uh, throughout the world, including the United States. They're used as exotic pets. They are used to stop zoos and circuses and um, for their um, what's considered traditional medicinal objects. Now, every animal you can imagine is up for the wildlife trade. And the animals suffer immensely as they are captured from the wild, shipped overseas, passed from dealer to dealer, or killed on site in profoundly, profoundly cruel ways. Now, you can imagine if you were one of these animals just going about your business, maybe you're just enjoying the sunshine, lying on your back on a rock, or feeling the warm sun on you, then suddenly you are grabbed and snatched away from everything you know, from your home, from your family members, they have families too, from your loved ones, from everything you know, and you were crowded into conditions like what you see here. This is very typical. You are crowded so much that the animals at the bottom often get crushed or smothered to death. You are deprived of food and water. You're exposed to the elements. And that's just the smallest type of harm that happens. That doesn't deal with the harm that happens when you're finally killed. Now, you would be incredibly stressed and distressed. And as a result, your immune system would be down. And that would make it very easy for you to catch infectious diseases. So you could catch infectious diseases from each other and pass it on to another animal. And this is how we actually suspect we got SARS. Here's what happened. So SARS is severe acute respiratory syndrome. It's a coronavirus. It's a cousin of the current coronavirus we're experiencing today, COVID-19. Now SARS emerged for the first time in China in 2003. And uh, it quickly swept around that region. It had a death rate of about 30%. Now just imagine, the death rate of COVID-19 is between two and 3%. This SARS 
virus, coronavirus, had a death rate of 30%. So it quickly spread around that area and it killed about a thousand people in a few months. Now, fortunately, that particular virus was not the most contagious. Although it was deadly, it was not very contagious. But at the time, it was a significant public health concern. And so uh, the Chinese public health authorities um, traced the origins of the SARS virus, and they found them in these little guys. These are civets, or sometimes called civet cats, and they are captured and exploited in the bushmeat, I'm sorry, the wildlife trade for their musk producing glands, and, and they also uh, eat coffee beans, and then they poop it out. And then that's considered, they use actually the, the waste, the, um, the feces from these animals in coffee. Um, so the, when the Chinese public health authorities found these animals, found coronavirus in these animals, their reaction was to quickly kill them. They killed thousands of these animals by electrocuting them or drowning them in disinfectants. But then, public health investigations found that the coronavirus likely didn't originate in these little guys, but likely originated in these guys. And these are fruit bats. And fruit bats are also captured for the wildlife trade. And fruit bats tend to carry a lot of different types of infectious diseases or called carriers. They don't tend to get sick from these diseases, they just carry them. But because of the change in habitat destruction, because of the wildlife change, we have made it much easier for us to be in contact with these animals, either directly or indirectly through other animals. And that makes it very easy for an infectious disease to pass on from animal to animal and ultimately to human. And so here we are today in the midst of a pandemic. And whatever it turns out where the origin of this pandemic um, is, and it could be that it originated from a laboratory, experimental laboratory. We've actually, the only time we've ever had Ebola in the United States is when we shipped it through infected monkeys used for experimentation. So experimental labs carrying animals can, and when, in which we infect animals purposely or they are um, naturally carrying an infectious disease is definitely one way in which we can get these infectious diseases ourselves. However, there's still a great deal of evidence to suggest that it is the live market in China that is the source of the um, current COVID-19. But even if it isn't, we still know that we are getting many different types of viruses from that wildlife trade, from the live market. But it's very important to know that the live market is just one end result of a much larger wildlife trade. The United States is one of the biggest importers and one of the biggest exporters of wildlife. So we are definitely playing a role in the emergence of new infectious diseases. And so because of the wildlife trade, as we have now seen today with COVID-19, no one anywhere is safe from dangerous infectious diseases. So every human life is now impacted by the way we treat animals. And nowhere is that more apparent than in our eating habits. So for every human on this planet, there are now more than 10 land animals raised and killed for food at any one time. Now that is a lot of animals. We thought there were too many humans on this planet. Um, and so to, to raise all these animals, the days of the family farms are long gone and in their place we have factory farms. 
95% of the meat, eggs, and dairy from chickens, turkeys, pigs, ducks are coming from factory farms. 95% of the food is coming from factory farms. And you can imagine how miserable these places are. Now, I visited some of them recently when I went to Oklahoma, actually, a few years ago. And I have to tell you, if there is hell on earth, it's there in these factory farms. The places are miserable. They're dank. There's flies everywhere because of the high humidity. Fans have to circulate the air to keep these animals from suffocating. They are so jam-packed, like chickens and um, hen laying, um, egg laying hens jam-packed in these cages. Each chicken lives her entire life in a space the size of your laptop screen or a piece of paper. That is her entire life. She cannot even stretch her wings. She can barely turn around. Her claws grow around the wires. Their feet are permanently on these little wires. And you can imagine the sores and the, the infections that they get. So by causing animals to suffer in this way, we are also causing ourselves to suffer. So we have seen in the past few decades, a rapid rise in mutations in the influenza virus. Now, when most people think of the influenza virus, they don't think of it as anything scary, right? We think, oh, influenza, that's just a flu we get every year. That's not necessarily a big deal. But what we're talking about here is the influenza A virus. Now, the influenza A virus can very easily become a pandemic because unlike the other types of influenza viruses, it is a virus that can be um, uh, carried by a wide variety of species in addition to humans. So for that reason, the influenza A virus is very hard, very difficult to track and contain. Now, all influenza A viruses originate from wild aquatic birds like wild ducks and geese, but we rarely, rarely become sick from direct contact with those animals. Something has to happen to the virus to allow it to infect us. And this is where factory farms come in. Studies have shown that an influenza A virus can easily enter a factory farm. And once it does, it can spread from animal to animal like wildfire. The dense confinement of animals and the distress they experience causes a double whammy. So not only are they so tightly packed, but they're also, again, just like with the wildlife trade, because they're so miserable and so distressed, your immune systems are down. Now, you know that happens with us. When you're stressed, it's easier for you to catch a cold. This is the same way with other animals. So it makes it very easy for, for a virus to pass from one animal to another and mutate. What's even more is that pigs are considered virus mixing vessels. In pigs, um, they can, so in pigs, pigs can actually carry influenza A viruses from other pigs, from chickens, and from humans. So that allows a lot of co-mingling, a lot of different mutations that can emerge in the virus. So if the situation is right or wrong, depending on how you look at this, a new virus could emerge that could have the um, potential to be very deadly and very contagious. One of the most uh, terrifying viruses that has emerged in the past few decades is called H5N1. You guys might have heard of it as bird flu or avian influenza. And that emerged from factory farms and it spread throughout factory farms. It's still there in factory farms. Now that virus had a lethality rate of 60%, meaning it killed 60% of the people who caught it. 
Now, can you imagine? We're right now dealing with a virus that kills two to three percent of the people who catch it. Could you imagine if we were facing an influenza A virus like this that kills 60 percent? So fortunately, again, that virus, though it's very lethal, ended up not being very contagious. But because of factory farms, it's just a matter of time before a new virus emerges that is very deadly and very contagious. You see, the poor animals on these farms are like nightclubs for viruses. In these animals, different viruses can get together, swap greetings, and exchange genetic material. And each time a virus mutate, uh, passes into another animal, it can mutate into an even deadlier form. So we're now towards the end, I hope, of this pandemic. But I fear that we haven't quite yet learned our lesson from this pandemic. I know as humans, we're very quickly to forget and we want to forget about this pandemic. And you're seeing that all over the world. People want to forget about this pandemic. Unfortunately, that means we're going to forget or never have learned about how this pandemic started in the first place. And our public health agencies, our governmental agencies, and even our media have dropped the ball on this. So I'm hoping you will take that ball and pass it, that ball of knowledge from one person to another, because we have to learn from this pandemic. Otherwise, we're going to face deadlier and deadlier pandemics. The next pandemic may very well start in our own backyard in a factory farm. So we are caught in a seemingly never ending cycle. By causing animals to suffer, we cause ourselves to suffer. But now we have a choice before us. Each one of us has a choice before us. We can stop this cycle. We can break the cycle and start to move forward. And we can see animals not as we can see our relationships with animals, not as that of predator and prey or master and servant. We can see animals as partners, as friends, as family strolling shoulder to shoulder along the dips and rises that stretch before us. And we can start to see that our destinies of humans and animals are shared. And hopefully by doing so, we can start to see that by saving animals, we also save ourselves. Now I know that sounds a bit Pollyannish, but it is utterly true. I just talked about infectious diseases. But in almost every way we relate with animals, we now know that how we treat animals affects our own well-being. So how do we get there? So to start, what I hope, if you're not already doing so, you can stop seeing animals as what? And instead, start seeing animals as who? Thank you very much. That's my cat, Nessie my little baby. Um, and I know I will be um, taking some questions later on. So I'll be happy to do that. Thank you very much for your time.